I'm Mario Munoz reporting for the Rio Grande Guardian International News Service. Recently, the city of Brownsville hosted potential investors in a first-of-its-kind Explore the Possibilities bus tour of the city of Brownsville. I boarded bus number one for the tour of downtown Brownsville. Steve Taylor boarded bus number two for the industrial areas tour. For the downtown tour on bus number one, Josh Mejia of the Community Improvement Corporation. Also, the president of the Brownsville Chamber, Esme Villarreal, and historic preservation officer for the city of Brownsville, Juan Vélez, explained incentives available for potential investors at the downtown Brownsville business locations. My name is Juan Vélez, and I'm the historic preservation officer. So as you see, while we are entering, what it happens is that suddenly all the residential arena areas were uh, simply removed to create these spaces. Most of them are from 1930s, uh, and uh, you have also some certain kind of mid-century mall examples. What is important is that uh, the new National Register Historic District that is called Central Brownsville Historic District occupies practically all these kind of streets. I mean, uh, uh, Washington, Levy, uh, Adams, up to Jefferson, up to, up to Madison as well. And there are around 350 structures and 240 are contributing structures. So what that, what do, what this thing does does it mean is that any investor that could invest in, for example, this building that is the Silvery on this was this was the Sears. This is a 1950s building, mid-century modern. Because it's simply contributing, the investor could be able to get a 20% of federal tax credit that goes against IRS. And during the first five years, you can simply compensate all the payments that you have to do to the federal government and avoid those. So what you are really doing is, let us say, advancing that money that will go to taxes, invest in your own building, and well, that's a huge saving. Uh, if any of these buildings could get what we say, what we call the state bunker, there's another 25% of tax credit available. But you have to get the designation. I mean, a building that must be important to the state of Texas. In any case, if you rehab these buildings, uh, you you would also have 100% uh, uh, of local tax exemption during the first five years. That means a practical 50% of savings on the taxes that you should have to pay to the city of Brownsville, to the Cameron County, to the Brownsville Navigation District, or to the Texas Southmost College. Those are the four entities that participate in the program. So as you can see, 240 buildings are subject to receive this kind of local tax exemptions once, com once are completed and totally rehab following the Secretary of Interior Standards. That is nothing like, well, simply, I mean, you can repair or replace, but if you replace, you have to replace in time. That's what the American government says in, in, in historic structures. And on the other hand, you will have also, apart from the local tax exemptions, these ta tax credits that is up to 20%. And that 20% is uh, uh, you only have to introduce the stop of words to the Texas Historical Commission. It's thanks to the National Register Historic District, you do not have to do any other paperwork. Any, any other paperwork, additional paperwork, 
should be just to try to get the state designation and upgrade the building so you can have an additional 25%. So one important thing to note is that here to your left is City Plaza. This is where your planning and, develop and redevelopment services department is located. So we always advise for investors, developers, and or just people that want to start something, a new venture in Brownsville, this is your place to start. Up to the right, you'll see the historical El Jardín. And this is a building that has been newly acquired by the housing authority to become a mixed-use development. Um, so this is something we're really, really excited about. I know that Juan can perhaps give us a little bit more information on it. Both El Jardins? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, well, it, it was developed by the same people that developed the uh, Los Ebanos uh, subdivision that is just beside uh, Palm Boulevard. And they develop also Acacia uh, Lakeside uh, with a very particular way to creating one or two acres of lots and only one house on the original 19, 1930s, that is when they arrived. This particular building was designed by Nix, that was one of, of their architects, and this was a huge investment done in the 1928-2029, and that was when the uh, airport was opened. So this, this building was practically uh, the center of the, of the life here in Brownsville, receiving a lot of uh, old uh, stars from Hollywood and, well, a lot of entrepreneurs as well. So in a, lot of, a lot of communities in the state usually find in their downtowns that one building that's an eyesore for the whole community. That's what this building was for a lot of folks. And uh, we're happy to say that the Housing Authority has now acquired the building so that they can go ahead and do a housing project for for this particular building. Uh, what's interesting enough that I find uh, personally is that there's a Ross uh, national brand store on the other side. That's one of the highest uh, revenue generating Ross throughout the entire southern portion of Texas. That's right across, right in between both international bridges. So as you can see, it's starting to trickle out the investment, the opportunities, and, and we're here working as a team to be able to address that. Another thing that I wanted to point out from the city plaza is that it has been redesigned so that it consolidates all the key departments that are necessary to ensure that you are guided through it each and every step of the way. That's something new. That's something new that, that, that I'm very proud of to be a resident of Brownsville, to be able to assist and, and help out those that are looking to invest. It's a one-stop shop. It's right here across the building. City Hall, we actually just passed. It's about two blocks. Yep, it's about one block going this way and then one block going left. Everything is so close by. Our economic development organization groups, both offices are two blocks that way. So you'll find a phrase that we kind of use often nowadays, which everything is two blocks away from each other in downtown. That's what I wanted to showcase you all. As you see right in front of us is the old Capitol Theater. Um, and uh, adjacent was the Walt Hotel was adjacent. So this property is currently owned by the city. Um, there, there, there has been some speculation and talks about perhaps starting in uh, a P3 um, in order to get some of these buildings rehabbed. That's still up for grabs, but what isn't is the fact that Brownsville is being very proactive, as Josh mentioned, uh, to start looking into breathing some life back into these buildings. Steve Taylor boarded bus number two for the industrial areas tour. Import-export entrepreneur Steve 
Perez told us some interesting facts about Brownsville history. What do you do, Steve? I'm a local entrepreneur. I, I help uh, companies import and export uh, broker services. And you're a Brownsville native? Yes, I was born here. And you've been on a tour here uh, to learn about all the new development in Brownsville. There's been two bus trips, uh, one doing the um, commercial, um, industrial, and one doing downtown. But we stopped here in downtown to, to have a mix and there's just so much history in Brownsville and you were, you've been pointing out some of the historical um, buildings we have but a lot of it even you as a Brownsville native you're only just learning about or you never learned as a kid that is correct uh, we actually for whatever reasons uh, just didn't know until we became adults and it's kind of embarrassing because we know more about uh, the Alamo, uh, you know, than, than our own city. And, and, and the Alamo was not even an American state when it fell. It was a Mexican state. So that that's in interesting sometimes. So as an adult, what are the some of the interesting historical aspects of Brownsville you've learned? You just telling me about the former president of. Mexico. Oh yeah, yeah. We've learned uh, interesting things. Uh, for example, uh, how Ulysses S. Grant was actually here in the Mexican Civil. Uh, Mexican-American uh, War. He fought here. Uh, and also Polk. So there's two soldiers before they became presidents. They fought here in the Mexican-American War. We found that out. Uh, we also found out that even uh, General E. Lee actually came to Brownsville, Texas to for a court martial something. One, one of the soldiers here in, in Fort Brown, what they used to call it. But there's interesting things that we find out more and more as we become more aware. But I think they should at least dedicate one or one day or two days out of uh, history books to talk about Brownsville. Because we were very important. If it weren't from Brownsville, the U.S. would have never caught up and won the uh, Mexican-American War, which, by the way, they had a governor in Nuevo León. Isn't that crazy? A, a U.S. governor inside Nuevo León. That's how much they took. But the thing was that they kept taking more more states, you know, uh, Texas, Nuevo Mexico, uh, and Arizona, and ultimately California. So that's half of the U.S. And tell us about the Mexican president that lived here. Well, yeah, uh, before he became president, uh, that was Porfirio Diaz. Uh, actually, uh, Charles Stillman actually housed them, maybe built the house, we don't know, but he, there's a house there. And that house, Porfirio Diaz lived there for a few months, prepping to become the president. And, and another uh, interesting uh, anecdote or historical significance um, milestone here in Brownsville, I didn't know till you were just telling us about the Stillman family and their, their banking enterprise. Yes. On top of banking, uh, they were into many businesses, uh, obviously uh, railroading, steamboats, uh, you know, everything that had to do with traffic, trade, you know, a lot. Actually, almost a monopoly. Uh, but let's not forget, they were partnered up. They were partnered up with uh, uh, Kennedy and also uh, King. That's why we have King Ranch. But all this area, you know, was basically controlled by those uh, giants, which a lot of people call them the, the kings of Texas. There's actually a movie on that. Uh, Patrick Stewart uh, actually comes out in that movie. They don't show Brownsville, Texas, but they do show South Texas. So tell us about the one of the Stillmans that started Citibank. Yeah, yeah, actually because of uh, a founder here uh, was making so much money <laughs> moving up and 
down traffic and trade. One of them was the Longhorns. They were making like, I think a dollar per cowhead to cross them through the Rio Grande. Five million cowheads were crossing every year. That's a lot of money in the 1830s, 1860s. So obviously that's just one stream of income. But they had to put the money somewhere, so they also uh, created a bank. That was the National City Bank. We have that local structure still standing in Brownsville, Texas. But after Brownsville had, you know, ups and downs, they decided to move their uh, whole uh, family to New York City. And they invested, I don't know, maybe $30 million or whatever, into a $300 million bank, which today we now know as Citibank. Under his leadership, under his chairman, uh, he built it from $300 million up to a billion-dollar corporation. And that is written in a book called The First Billion Dollar Bank. And that you can look a, it up in Amazon. And which Stillman was that? That was the James Stillman, Brownsville-born native. And our school children don't know that. A lot of people don't know that. In fact, his daughters, he had two daughters, and his two daughters, for whatever reason, I guess rich marry the rich, I guess, they married the, the two Rockefellers. So the number 10 richest men in the United States actually uh, married his daughters into the top richest man in the United States, which was uh, Rockefeller. And the, the, the grandson is called James Stillman Rockefeller. And that guy also became chairman of the National City Bank later in his years, I think in the 1930s or something. All this to say, this gives Brownsville a fantastic opportunity to be uh, more of a, a destination city, a tourist draw, does it not? When you're sitting on this much history, there's under, perhaps under, people do not appreciate it and it's undervalued, underutilized. Uh, well, yeah, I think so. If you know, people will find out. They, they will come and check it out. You know, because it's very interesting. Very interesting uh, American history. It, it touches. We we, we want to be able to feel it still because it's still here. And and it's interesting to know that that they lived here and they did all this uh, good eco business that I believe. It's here to come back again, uh, not just because SpaceX is here, but other industries that are coming over to us, which they weren't in the 1980s. I still remember the airport being empty. I used to bike through the airport. Nobody would stand me down, no, no security. I would just walk in anywhere I wanted. But this was back in the 80s, you know. Uh, but now, obviously, uh, we have a new terminal and a lot of interesting things are happening in the next 10 years. And we feel grateful for being in the epic center of the crossroads that we call our big city, uh, Brownsville, Texas. Brownsville Airport Director Bryant Walker explained that the airport is seeking a designation as a spaceport. In a nutshell, what is happening at Brownsville Airport? Well, the Brownsville Airport, we've we've redirected things by actually creating a master plan that we can follow, which um, pays attention to our bottlenecks. So the first one being the terminal itself. So we can actually address the limitations that the terminal has. It wasn't built or designed for what it has to, the purpose it has to fulfill 
now. So by creating the new terminal, then we move the bottleneck to other infrastructure points within the airport, and then we can focus on those other areas as well, such as the runways and uh, even building our cargo back up to what it was a decade ago. And that master plan, is it been finished or are you still working on that? The master plan is, is currently complete. We started it at the beginning of 2017, so it's taken a couple of years to get to this point. Um, it is complete. It has been submitted to the FAA's regional office for uh, review and approval. We should be getting that back literally any day, and we'll close that project out. Once that's done, is that open to the public to view that? Absolutely. Absolutely it is. Good, good. And then on the bus, uh, somebody asked, one of the, maybe the realtors or the potential investors were saying, asking you, when will you be self-sufficient, like self, get a self-fund yourself? Correct. And you said within three years. Yes, we're anticipating within about three years we should be able to have the, the funds necessary to do our, our matches for all of the CIP projects that we anticipate funding through the FAA. Yes, that's that's the that's the anticipation. And then another fascinating thing I learned listening to you today. You were saying that already your airport has a designation as a spaceport. Um, it is not designated as a spaceport right now. We are we currently have an active feasibility study to be designated as a spaceport. What I what I was trying to communicate to everyone. The FAA currently uses Brownsville as an example of an airport that's designated a spaceport. In most of their presentations and most of their literature on um, airport airport slash spaceports, um, we're included in that because of the logical location of Brownsville uh, in relation to the equator and in relation to a body of water with low population density for lowering the risk and, and creating that stable infrastructure that um, a space launch operation would need. So. Yeah, so, we're, we're, we're in the list. So what would what's what would be um, what would you have at your airport uh, to make it a spaceport as opposed to any other regular airport? What are the distinguishing factors that say okay, that now is a spaceport, not an airport? It's it's fairly simple. So it's not like you're going to drive up and see NASA. That's not what a spaceport at an airport is. A spaceport at an airport is largely academic or administrative. Uh, we have to designate areas of the airport that are used for fueling operations and then areas, specific areas of the airport that are used for launch operations. Um, that's really all it comes down to uh, so that we can address any emergencies that come up. Uh, we know where the fuel is and what can possibly happen so, so we can respond to anything that might happen during operations. So whether it's uh, recovery, whether it's whatever it is. So when we when you transition from aircraft operations to spacecraft operations, that has to be defined very clearly. So that's that's defined in an airport's uh, airport layout plan, which is the the way the airport operates and and the definition of the land uses of the airport itself. So for everything from environmental considerations to operational considerations, it, like I said, it's more uh, academic than it is. Is an administrative then. So, and are you seeking function. that designation? Will you? Correct. What's the time frame? Would you hope to get that by? We believe the feasibility study will be done within about uh, within the next couple months. Uh, once that's completed, uh, that'll be turned over to the city, and we will uh, then. Um, pursue the environmentals. So the feasibility study addresses some of the impacts and then we'll go right into the um, environmental impact statement. Well, once we complete that, it would be a matter of partnering with an operator because generally the FAA wants to see an operator 
um, in connection with the airport before they issue the actual spaceport designation. And all of the spaceports right now, that airports that are spaceports, I should say, all of those have someone operating on their field, in mostly in a testing phase. So most of them are developing engines or testing engines or something of that nature. So as we move into that phase, we would expect to partner with one of those uh, horizontal launch operators. And will that help you with marketing Brownsville if you were as a designated spaceport? Well, I think that at least 50% of my job is marketing Brownsville, whether it's at an airline conference or an airports conference or a spaceport conference, which um, this week we're, we have representatives from the airport attending Spacecom in Houston, which is occurring this week. You know, Today was the uh, launch operators uh, meeting today, and then the rest of the, the conference is the exhibit hall and all. Um, but this this would just be just another thing that the airport's doing. Kind of, it's kind of I would compare it to us doing an event like today, where the city is trying to create development and industry. That we can mention that we're doing the spaceport stuff as well. So, but but that's not. It's they're not dependent on each other or reliant on each other. So if I go and I'm marketing the city to a spaceport operator, I'm not necessarily mentioning all the development for any reason other than to tell them that yes, the city is active and yes, the city is um, is growing. But it's it's sort of a hand-in-hand thing. It's not it's not mutually exclusive nor mutually dependent. Um, last question. It seems as though these are very exciting times for you and your staff for Brownsville Airport. I was just speaking to one of the entrepreneurs on the bus, Steve, was telling me he would drive cycle past the airport in the 1980s and it was dead. And now it's just incredible what, what you're planning and the potential of it all. Right. Um, I would I would agree that you know since the 80s the airline industry has seen major ups and downs. Um, the early 80s, you saw deregulation of the airline industry. Uh, so the late 70s, uh, it's when it was all deregulated, and you saw airlines changing to a hub and spoke as opposed to um, the previous method of just they were more concerned about market share. And then you saw consolidation of the airlines. And now we've, we've gone from about 16 airlines in the past decade down to about four major carriers that are domestic in the U.S., um, running about 85% of the market. So that's that's a massive change from the past. So, you know, you see it in their operations. And one thing that I wouldn't want to undersell is the pilot shortage. So if you look at other pressures on the industry, um, the, even something as simple as the 737 MAX issue that Boeing's having right now, all of these are pressures on the entire industry globally. Um, not just here in the U.S. So that's going to have an impact at every airport across the world, including Brownsville. But I was thinking the growth of that airport is mirroring, naturally, the growth of this community of Brownsville itself and all the exciting projects that are just just on the horizon. Right. So for that reason, a very exciting time. It is. It is very exciting to see the um, industrial growth that we have in the city, and we, we do see that reflected at the airport. So all the increases in um, everything from construction here mirrors 
it's very much mirrored at the airport in the traffic that we see. Um, whether it's something locally um, related to the you know the NAFTA, the USMCA agreement, and everything that's being hammered out, um, all of that has an immediate impact at the airport. You can see it on a daily basis. The energy efforts that the administration has been pursuing in the Gulf, for instance, we see more Gulf oil rig workers transitioning through the airport. We see an increase in helicopter operations. So if, if it's immediate. So if those LNG terminals are approved this week by FERC and they do start to get built and all those construction workers need to be here, will you be ready? Will your expansion be there in time to, to, <laughs> to look after them, to cater for them? That's a very good question and I think that I would have been a lot more comfortable being six months ahead of where we are. However, um, our current facility uh, does have excess capacity off, um, I guess, off schedule. So we do have times that are that are slow enough we can accommodate additional amounts of traffic. So I'm not I'm not too concerned about it. It's just it takes extra effort. In the new terminal, it won't take any extra effort. It'll it's designed for that. And you're planning for it. Yes. Yes. Good. Bryant, thank you so much for today's interview. I've learned so much. City Commissioner John Cowan says it's a great time to be in Brownsville. What great things are going on? Well, I think, you know, the events like this are really important for our community to showcase the assets that we have. Um, you know, we are one of the few places, probably the only uh, place in the country that has five ports of entry, including space now. So we should be attracting a lot more investment than we have been. And I think part of it is marketing our community in a, in a, in a great way. So I think this is going to be a tradition uh, here at the city. And also, the, like the uh, assistant city manager said, changing the codes, making yourself more business friendly, uh, welcoming of the business community. Yeah, may have been harder in the past. Absolutely, I think we're looking at every every uh, roadblock that we've created for ourselves over the years, and trying to clean that up. As you can see, we have all new leadership, basically at the director level, pretty much, um, and at the city manager level. Um, You're happy about that? And we're very happy. It's a it's a great uh, great time to be in Brownsville. Got it. The executive director of the Greater Brownsville. Incentives Corporation, Mario Lozoya, gave details about industrial parks in Brownsville. So today on the tour, on the industrial tour, uh, there was an opportunity to see the Brownsville Industrial Park. We call it the 511 Industrial Park because it's adjacent to 511. And on the other side, it's adjacent to rail. And it's a 491-acre park. It has it's, it's the 550, it's an overweight corridor. It's also a designated 169 interstate. It's one mile away from I-69. It's five miles away from the port. It's across the street from PUB's facility, RO water desalination plant. So, but it's a greenfield. You know, we're gonna work on developing it. And we're not expecting uh, it to be filled based on SpaceX activity or based on LNG activity and other things. We, it's just to meet demand other than that. You know, we have a lot of uh, investors from Mexico that they don't know what they're going to do based on the new NAFTA 2 USMCA. They've been visiting us. Like the whole valley, McAllen 2 and Harlington and other communities, are like, what are they going to do? So we're waiting on that kind of demand. 
Uh, we've had some um, other companies that want to just expand and they don't have enough room and, and, and that's enough space there. We've had some developers come and see it for spec buildings and built-to-suit buildings. So we already have about six LOIs to have some buildings there. And then, and then, and then, so basically, on pending projects alone, we think that that we can fill that particular space. Uh, that, and that's all besides what's happening with the LNGs and with SpaceX and the like. You know, we think that there's going to be some spillover effect of, uh, for example, we're all crossing our fingers that this Thursday, when the FERC announcement uh, pushes the projects, the three projects forward, and eventually they do break ground, we have an expectation of maybe even suppliers to move closer to facilitate that. So we're talking about a lot of opportunity, not just in Brownsville, but in my opinion, the whole valley, and we just need to be ready for it. Uh, talking about being ready for it, uh, Bryant, your your director of the airport, he says he quite he will not be ready for it. He wishes his project had started <coughs> six months before yeah. because if all those construction workers are needed and they start arriving, the airport isn't quite ready. Yeah, well, one one uh, indicator, and uh, Brian alluded to it that in the last ten years, just the traffic alone in the in the Brownsville National Airport has increased by 90% without any effort, right? So think about with all these activities and with the, with the uh, new terminal, uh, that's going to continue, right? So I know that the project is in the middle of it. We're in the middle of it. We're, we're hoping that at least some of it is completed so that we can entertain some projects in there. But definitely it's a good problem to have. You know, bottom line is a good problem to have, and, and we're looking forward to its economic development uh, opportunities. It makes you wonder why that those those two industrial parks have been laid vacant all this time. You you would have thought there would have been something, but they're just ready and they're available, but nothing happened before. Yeah, especially with the uh, smaller industrial park that we have, the 65-acre park that we had, uh, a, lot of has to, a lot of it had to do with some p- pending contracts that weren't done. Um, unfortunately, there was a time where, where GBIC was in transition from another organization, so essentially GBIC, the organization we have today is new. Uh, we're revisiting all that, cleaning that up, and we're going to start filling it up. You're confident. Either way, whatever happens with FERC, whatever happens with SpaceX, just USMCA and other and the natural growth of the valley. Right. Based on based on what we've seen and based on the demand that we've seen and the visitors that we've had that are not related to SpaceX, not related to the LNG. So we have enough demand as it is. That's right. Anything else you'd like to say? Uh, the future looks good for Brownsville, and in my opinion. Um, the valley will then move as Brownsville moves. I mean, with Brownsville being the largest community in the valley, it's essential that we work together as a region, not just on the Texas side, but on the Mexican side. Josh Mejia, Brownsville Community Improvement Corporation, recaps the objectives of the bus tour. Name is Josh Mejia, Executive Director with the Brownsville Community Improvement Corporation. Today we gave a lot of developers the opportunity to be able to experience our downtown Brownsville to see exactly what has been here before and is currently being enhanced and the opportunities that go beyond that uh, to be able to develop the type of economic development opportunities that we want to see here in the community. A lot of the developers that came here were asking and, and taking a look at all the historical values, the cultural values that we have currently present 
as well as the logistical opportunities that we might have as well with the three bridges so close to our border. We feel this is a very unique area in comparison to all other areas in South Texas, and we look forward to all the opportunities that we're going to see from all the developers that were featured here in this tour. For the bus tour, the city of Brownsville partnered with the Greater Brownsville Incentives Corporation. The Brownsville Community Improvement Corporation, with the support of RGV Partnership and the Lower Rear Grand Valley Development Council. The bus tour concluded with a mixer at Las Ramblas in downtown Brownsville. <laughs>